0: You're listening to the Urban Warfare Project Podcast from the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm John Spencer, Chair of Urban Warfare Studies at MWI and host of this podcast. So today's guest is Samuel Bendett. He is an analyst with the Center for Naval Analysis, where he's a member of the Russian Studies program. He's also a adjunct senior fellow at the Center for New America Security, specializing in Russian unmanned Military Systems and Artificial Intelligence, or AI. His work involves research on Russian defense and technology developments, as well as Russia military capabilities and decision-making during crisis, and really everything Russia. So Sam, it's really great to have you on the show.
1: Glad to be on. Thanks for having me.
0: So I, I thought we'd start off with, since it's, it's a fascinating topic and I'm really honored to have such an expert. How you got into your work with the Center for Naval Analysis and becoming a Russian military expert?
1: Well, uh, prior to CNA, I was working for the National Defense University, uh, NDU, and I was working on a project that looked at the emergence of new technologies that could assist U.S. government in um, disaster response. And one of the uh, technologies we looked at were actual UAVs. And so this was around 2009 2010, civilian UAVs in the United States were becoming used for uh, search and rescue or for disaster response operations. And so it was quite a fascinating research. We were actually doing that research with the Naval Postgraduate School. And so I got fascinated with those technologies. At around the same time, of course, Russia embarked on its massive modernization drive in 2009, which is still ongoing. And obviously, the emergence and adoption of new technologies was very high on the Russian agenda. And so the Ministry of Defense, or the MOD, as I'll be referring to it, launched a number of research and development projects dealing with the development and then conceptualization of using unmanned and autonomous systems in military combat. When Russia annexed Crimea in 2014, when it got involved in Ukraine in 2015, there was a realization in Washington that there is a need for individuals who can um, help U.S. government understand Russian actions, who can help them decipher what the Russian military is doing, and especially understand how Russia is developing its weapons and systems. And so CNA Russia program staffed up at around the same time. We went from one individual in 2014 to eight full-time Staffers today. And that's how I ended up at CNA. And at around, I think, 2016, 2017, I began noticing that Russia is talking a lot about its unmanned and autonomous systems, military robotics. And I started looking into it and I started writing and started talking about its capabilities. And so here we
0: are. So you have a, a Russian background, though, right? I know you're a fluent. Russian speaker. Is that right?
1: Yes. Yes, I am. I'm actually from the former Soviet Union. I was born there originally.
0: Okay, great. So uh, I know you know the podcast and we're going to dive into not only Russian technologies, but you know, I'm always interested in how that applies to urban warfare. And Russia definitely has its own past warfare experiences and let's say more modern experiences. But what type of technologies do you see the Russians developing that will be applicable to what I research a lot, what I talk about a lot, dense urban combat?
1: So let's start, I guess at the beginning, I mentioned that MOD launched research and development efforts in order to understand how unmanned systems, autonomous systems could be used. And today, Russian military discusses the use of military robotics writ large in the context of saving human lives, that is replacing soldiers, human soldiers with military robots, as well as avoiding unnecessary civilian casualties, as well as making the missions more effective. And so urban warfare is an environment where there's a lot of unpredictability and where danger literally lurks around every corner, around every stone. And so Russian military is keen on utilizing different technologies, new technologies, to replace its human fighters as long as the mission is effective. And so to answer your question, I think UAVs represent a significant mission multiplier for the Russian military. Fixed-wing UAVs, quadrocopters, and multi-rotor UAVs. They've been used to a great extent in Syria. In fact, Syrian conflict is where Russia used its uavs extensively they flew more missions than manned aircraft they became key uh, mission multipliers as the eyes and ears for the manned aviation artillery and ground forces so i think one of the major elements of Russian ability to operate effectively in an urban setting is ISR, Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance. And today's UAVs, not just for Russia, but for other countries as well, are tremendous assets when it comes to that ISR.
0: So let's get specific. I mean, what kind of UAVs we're talking about all the way down to the tactical level of like a quadcopter you put up just to see beyond the, the next block or so all the way up to service level assets of ISR?
1: Absolutely. And so Syria, again, was one significant testbed where multiple UAV platforms were used. The Russians have long range fixed wing UAVs. The four post UAV flies at around 250 kilometers. Russia has many Orlan. 10 UAVs. That's the workhorse of the Russian UAV fleet, and they fly at 120 kilometers out. They're also a significant part of the Lier 3 electronic warfare system and a cell phone mobile communications jammer that were also utilized in Syria. Russia has a multitude of smaller UAVs like the Aeleron, like Zastava, like Granat, and many others. Hand launched tactical UAVs that can range at no more than 20 kilometers. But Russian military is also working on multiple models, quadrocopters and multi-rotor aircraft. In fact, if you Google Russian UAV images, sometimes you see a Russian soldier with a DGI Chinese quadrocopter. I think Russian military is also working on its own domestic developments. Many of those quadrocopter and, and multi-rotor UAVs are being tested today. The requirement for the MOD now is that uh, most of the military robotics in in use today must come with the domestic complement, meaning they must be manufactured in Russia. All key components must be manufactured in Russia as well. So again, we're talking a range of UAVs. We're also talking about different types of unmanned systems that can provide surveillance and reconnaissance like glass or an eye in Russia. It's basically a camera set and a sensor set that is launched from a flare gun. So if a soldier needs to see what is going on immediately, he or she can just fire a flare gun and this system will will descend from 100 meters or so in a small parachute transmitting information while it's still available. When it comes to larger and heavier systems, Russians are looking at the development of what we call high-altitude, long-endurance UAVs. Some were displayed last week at the Army 2020 Expo. These are similar to the American Predator and Reaper UAVs. They're also working on other models. But when it comes to urban warfare, the closer to the ground you can get, the more tactical you can get, the more helpful it is going to be.
0: So one thing you keep saying is about the deployment of these capabilities in Syria. And I've actually talked to like my old boss, Colonel Liam Collins, who spent a lot of time in Ukraine, was surprised to hear, maybe that I shouldn't, that, you know, the conflicts in Syria and the Ukraine and like you said, in Crimea really served as a test bed for Russian new ways of fighting new technologies. Would you say that's an accurate statement?
1: Absolutely. In fact, Russians were very public about their actions in Syria in testing over 200 different weapon systems. So absolutely, Syria is quite an unusual, unpredictable, but also unprecedented sandbox for the Russian military industry to see how these technologies can be used, what should be fixed, what should be changed. In Syria, for the first time, representatives of Russian military companies were on hand and on the ground to get the latest reports Or immediate reports, I should say, from the users of these systems so that they can actually make corrections, repairs, or send information back to Russia so that changes could be made immediately.
0: Is there something in the Russian acquisition model? Clearly, testing brand new technologies that haven't been tested anywhere else in combat is slightly different than the ways most militaries do it. But is there something different about the acquisition system? If you're bringing private industry forward with you into combat and then testing it against a live enemy, that seems a little different. Well, Russia has a limited number of unmanned systems in service, but we are seeing reports now in the open
1: source media and at military expos like the Army 2020 Expo that I mentioned earlier, that Russian military is acquiring small batches of UAVs, unmanned ground vehicles, and unmanned underwater and surface vehicles. Those are usually talked about as complexes. So an unmanned system complex in Russian understanding is ground control station and then two three or four different unmanned systems, whether it's UAVs or UGVs. So when they talk about acquisition of 30 or so complexes, they may be talking about upwards of 100 UAVs or up to approximately
0: 60 or 70 UGVs, for example. What size of force of Russians were deployed to Syria in active combat?
1: So what we have seen is that MOD reported that 40,000 Russian soldiers have rotated through Syria starting with the fall of 2015 when they first got involved also all of the um all of the flag officers all the generals all the admirals supposedly were rotated through syria as well so that they can get the command and control experience and that they can actually understand what the fighting in syria is all about so a smaller portion of russian soldiers have rotated through Syria because Russia has over 900,000 forces. But those that did have gained absolutely invaluable, objectively speaking, because there were a lot of issues with their deployments. But objectively speaking, they gained invaluable experience in fighting this type of war.
0: Do you think they're taking these lessons that they're learning from active experimentation in Syria and bringing them back to Russia and then incorporate them in new doctrines, new investments?
1: Absolutely. The key phrase right now when it comes to Russian military training and drills and exercises is based on the lessons learned in Syria. And that is especially evident with UAVs, with the use of unmanned aerial vehicles as reconnaissance uh, and ISR assets. It is also true with the use of unmanned ground vehicles. In Syria, Russia tested several different models of demining UGVs. So from the large Uran-6 UGV to smaller Scarab that could be launched by hand. And now There's a lot of training, a lot of drilling that is taking place based on the lessons that Russians have picked up. And their acquisition and incorporation of these UGVs, for example, in military robotics is also based on the lessons they learned. Not only that, but the military industry has responded to the MOD's demand for improvements based on the lessons learned in Syria. So I just mentioned a Scarab UGV, which is a very small four-wheeled UGV with cameras. It is basically meant to give a situational awareness image in a short radius it is not a powerful system, but it isn't meant to be such. So it can go under cars, it can go through rubble up to a certain point. And uh, the MOD wanted improvements. And so today, there is a new UGV called uh, Scorpion, which is based on a Scarab. And Scorpion was specifically designed based on the Russian sapper's requests for greater capability. So not only can it cut through, for example, barbed wire, but it has two extra hands, if you will, that can lift the scorpion as it goes along so it can go over obstacles and, for example, climb stairs. So we're seeing these kind of incremental improvements to the way Russians design their military robotics, all of that based on what Russians have picked up in Syria.
0: I could see how that would be very useful in urban combat, and I've seen some U.S.-based technologies that that kind of get you there. I was surprised, though, when you started talking about unmanned systems to to hear that that higher priority of saving human lives or saving a Russian soldier's lives, and basically using an unmanned system in place of a soldier to reduce you know the the risk to the soldier. I mean, I, I think some people would think that there's this. Or I run into myths about Russia, China, and their casualty tolerance. And what I try to tell them is, I mean, you think of the biggest urban combat in the world, or you know, even if it's Russian urban combat, Stalingrad. And I know I hate to use that, or
1: Chechnya Grozny, right?
0: Chechnya Grozny, right? The, the American or the Russian population still cares about Russian, you know, men and women coming home in body bags. I mean, it is a concern.
1: You know, that's a fair question, because if we do look at the Russian experience, for example, in Grozny, in both Chechen wars, one would get the impression that they essentially wanted to accomplish the mission irrespective of the number of casualties it took. But Russia is a different country now, and there's more openness. And yes, you're right, they do care about the body backs coming home. Russians also care about fighting wars that do not pose a direct security threat to Russia. So, Soviet Union, Soviet culture, its young men and women were brought up during the Cold War with the World War II as an example. And uh, one sacrifice for the motherland was the height of so, sort of the socio-cultural social excellence. And so that type of thinking carried over into the 90s meaning the ability to send uh, soldiers into combat. But uh, here come the new technologies, and here come the technologies that are relatively easy to put together. I'm not saying it's easy to to develop a UGV or UAV, but the experience is there. And now, fast forward to 2015, Russian military is different. It is more professional. It is a, a lot more capable. We don't have millions of soldiers sort of drafted into the large geopolitical fight as in the Soviet times. And so today's Russian military is much more high-tech. It is much more centered on accomplishing the mission. And because the contractor force is growing in Russia, because it is expensive to train a modern soldier, Russians are interested in accomplishing the mission. And in fact, the MOD and the military establishment are discussing the growing and ever-rising role of unmanned systems of military robotics in combat. In 2012, Russia opened its own DARPA. It's called the Advanced Research Foundation. And Advanced Research Foundation directors are basically discussing military combat with an ever-growing share of military robotics to the point where in the near future, probably several decades from now, the bulk of the fighting is done by military robots. So Russians are very keen on safeguarding their soldiers. They're keen on avoiding civilian casualties and collateral damage. And they're very interested in making their fighting, their mission, a lot more effective. And so unmanned systems can, in fact, provide the mission multiplier.
0: Fascinating. And to hear that the Russians are concerned about collateral damage. Again, another myth, and especially from coming out of Grozny.
1: Well, look, in, in Syria, a lot of Russians think that they lost information war to Western media that portrayed Russians basically dropping weapons on hospitals and and just hitting everything in their path, along with members of ISIS or anti-Assad coalition. So they got very sensitive to that. And of course, they want to have precision-guided munitions, precision weapons, and unmanned systems that can be very precise and very lethal in avoiding civilian casualties. So that type of sensitivity is now translated into the concept of operations where unmanned systems have to be very lethal and very precise.
0: There does seem to be a worldwide military race towards technological advancements of AI, robotics, quantum computing, you name it. And you're not going to outspend some of these big militaries. Is there any, let's say, competitive advantage you think that the Russians have? I mean, I've heard, I don't know if you've heard General Scales talk about Russian artillery capabilities and advancements in artillery, especially coming out of the Ukraine and fighting in those first few months. Do they have a competitive advantage? What is their acquisition system or their desire for certain assets?
1: I think we're seeing a Russian military that's becoming more flexible more flexible in how it uses force, how it uses weapons, how it develops weapons. In other words, we are seeing Russian military adapt this very Western concept of kind of fail fast, fail easy, and move on to the next thing, which is something that United States military is probably not used to when looking at the Russian military, right? There's a lot of people who still kind of try to see Russia through the lens of the 1990s and early 2000s. And Syria is that one example where Russia tried different approaches to ground combat and different weapons in order to accomplish the mission. After all, they lost the city of Palmyra twice and had to recapture it. Maintaining a small footprint, maintaining overmatch with air forces, and maintaining a very robust ability to strike a target once it's been identified is something that Russians are working on. So you mentioned artillery. In Syria, UAVs were a key component of what the Russians call reconnaissance strike and reconnaissance fire, contour. Basically, the ability of UAVs, unmanned assets, autonomous assets, to identify the target, transmit information in real time as the target is moving or maybe not moving so that manned assets like aircraft, helicopters, or artillery, multiple launch rocket systems can hit that target in real time. This is something that Russians didn't have before, and this is something that they gained in Syria. And this is probably one of the most valuable lessons in UAV use. In fact, I mentioned that a phrase based on the lessons learned in Syria is a key phrase with Russian military analysis, with Russian military exercises. Another key phrase that we haven't seen before is in real time, meaning UAVs as aerial assets can transmit information in real time to a very powerful Russian artillery and multiple launch rocket system component.
0: So, I mean, you really can't talk unmanned vehicles, aerial vehicles, drones, swarms, even robotics, unless you talk electronic warfare. What kind of advancements in electronic warfare are we seeing in Russia, especially in a contested environment, right? So some people say the ISIS use of drones, although it took kind of the world by surprise initially, there are electronic warfare capabilities that have been developed that are very effective, although it's not solved, but it's a race But the electromagnetic spectrum, especially when you're talking large militaries, is a huge thing because all of these systems that we're talking about, a lot of them rely on things like GPS or RF, some part of the RF spectrum, where your ability to believe you have a secure network or secure electromagnetic spectrum to to use all these assets is huge. So Russia
1: today is probably the world leader in in developing electronic warfare systems. And we're talking about large systems that can cover a very large area and a lot of assets down to the very tactical systems that can work short range. Russians are now pushing those electronic warfare systems down to the very tactical level no doubt based on what they've learned in Syria. Another lesson learned by the Russians is that counter UAV training or counter UAS training is now ubiquitous across the entire military. In fact, everyone in Russian military uniform, whether they're a soldier or a cook or a medic, or whoever, has to know how to deal with small drones. So that type of very tactical counter-US training is pushed down to every service to the platoon level. That's one. Number two, and you asked a very important question about how electronic warfare can impact some of these vulnerable systems. Russians are developing unmanned aerial vehicles, and especially unmanned ground vehicles, specifically so that they can withstand electronic warfare countermeasures launched by the adversary. That is now a requirement, not just from the MOD in the policy papers when they discuss future plans, but also from the soldiers themselves. And so future unmanned ground vehicles, military robotics developed in Russia will have that ability to withstand a certain degree, certain measure of electronic warfare so that they can accomplish the mission.
0: I mean, that's really interesting. I, I would not say that about most militaries that every soldier receives training on what to do with a enemy drone, whether it's a hobby drone or not. I mean, what kind of scenarios are we talking about here and how, how they're exposed to something like that?
1: So every time we read about Russia's electronic warfare training or a drill, we see the phrase counter UAV training. Because in Russia now, defending against incoming adversary UAVs, both large and small, as well as countering electronic warfare, countermeasures in the electromagnetic spectrum are becoming one and the same. And so in military drills and exercises involving W forces, we see Russian soldiers in a dismounted fashion or, for example, as part of a mechanized infantry unit, You know, as the description says, shooting down UAVs with the help of small arms, machine guns, and sometimes even more robust and large systems like Panzer and and others. At the same time, counter UAV training is now sort of, it's a requirement. And so soldiers are trained how to shoot down small quadrocopters, small UAVs that can potentially penetrate Russian defenses. Again, based very much on what they've picked up in Syria and what they no doubt experienced in Syria.
0: So I have more of a general question before I continue to talk about really modernization questions about Russian experiences in urban warfare. There's lots of myths in my research about Russian you know, urban warfare experiences in World War II and in the Chechen Wars and the Battle of Grozny one and II. But do you think there is a collective memory in the Russian military outside of Syria that continues to reside in their force development, force structure, and thoughts towards fighting in cities?
1: Well, no doubt. After all, this is a generational conflict and that the soldiers and the officers who fought In both Chechen wars are now in senior positions across the military. And the young soldiers who are entering service today may or may not even remember the conflict. Some of them were even born afterward. After all, Chechen conflicts took place in the 1990s. And so you have the memory of those losses, the memory of mistakes made that are very much ingrained in many officers' minds, I think. There's a desire not to repeat those mistakes. There's a desire not to waste lives in order to accomplish the mission which is why the Russian military is very keen on using new technologies that can improve their mission, that can improve the soldiers' effectiveness. And again, I keep returning to that sort of initial phrase, uh, military robotics are supposed to safeguard lives and make missions more effective. There's an anecdote, or probably several anecdotes from the 1990s and the Chechen War in using first batches of UAVs by the Russian military in the post-Soviet conflict. And sometimes military commanders were afraid to use a UAV as an ISR asset because there were very few of them and they were very expensive. And a loss of that UAV asset would reflect very badly on that officer. And so sometimes human assets were still used in ISR fashion when a UAV would be available. And today that's not the case. The point of having a large UAV fleet is that any unit should potentially deploy an unmanned military system To develop their ISR capabilities and so now again the Russian fleet is one of the largest UAV fleets in the world and Russia goes from less than 200 UAVs in 2012 to over 2000 today and the MOD announced that they will be adding 300 UAVs annually for the next five years.
0: That hits home to me. Um, I actually wrote an article about this uh, just based on my own experiences in fighting in Baghdad, of the use of UAVs. I wouldn't, as a company commander on the ground, would not fly, let's say the Raven in dense urban terrain. One, because the thing always goes down. And if I lose it, It becomes almost a national reported item of this sensitive, expensive item going down and is unaccountable for for a short amount of time. And I wrote how if we want to use some of these technologies, they got to be cheap, disposable and reduce risk to a military culture that does count for every piece of equipment that you have.
1: And that's a great point because Russians are thinking the same way in interviews with military officers, with end users, in interviews with Russian military academies where soldiers are trying to develop and conceptualize how unmanned military systems would be used. They use actually the same language that unmanned military systems or military robotics should be low cost. They should be expendable. They should not inhibit the mission. They certainly should not be expensive. And a loss of a UGV, for example, unmanned ground vehicle, shouldn't impede the mission. And so Russians today are developing a full range of unmanned ground vehicles, not just for urban combat, but for other combat. From the smallest UGVs, the size of your laptop, to a tank size, for example, Uran-6, Uran-9, and a recent
0: addition called Sturm, or
1: the Storm, which is actually based on a T-72 tank.
0: Oh, let's let's talk tanks. Let's do that. There is a current debate. I don't know if you've seen all the news about the U.S. Marine Corps' has. has done away with their tanks they no longer have tanks and now the british army is discussing whether they need tanks and i as an urban warfare specialist kind of pull my hair out i think it's a bad decision all around if a military force has a reduced number of tanks based on history on how effective tanks are in urban combat doesn't matter what battle you look at if you're going to go into an urban fight you're going to have a reduced risk to soldiers civilians collateral damage if you have better or more tanks for many reasons. One, a tank can take a hit from an anti-tank weapon like an explosive port penetrator or an RPG, unlike any other vehicle in the inventory. It also gives you a defense penetrating capability at speed and tempo. And it also gives you concrete penetrating capability with the, the domain gun. How do Russians view their tanks? I know how they viewed it during the you know the Battle of Grozny, but how do they view it today in the incorporation of combined arms in urban combat?
1: Well, we know that Russians have a lot of tanks. Russians have a tank culture. There's a great love and respect for the tank. In fact, Russians have modernized different tank systems from the Cold War, right? So Russia today has a modernized T-72 tank, modernized T-80 tank, and, and the T-90, which is a more modern addition, Plus, of course, the recently announced Armata main battle tank, which may also come as as an unmanned system. So Russians very much utilize their tanks. It is very much part of their concept of operations. But an urban combat presents a very different environment. And an unmanned system in an urban combat has a range of challenges that sometimes cannot be overcome. So in 2018, Russians tested a Uran-9 UGV, the largest combat on the end-ground vehicle they have. It is almost the size of a small tank. And there were lots of issues with that test, which Russians learned a lot from and how to sort of develop future on manned ground vehicles. And one of the additions to the Russian UGV fleet is the one I mentioned just a few seconds ago, the Sturm. So Sturm or the Storm is based on a T-72 tank chassis. It's basically a tank without a turret, sort of a modular system system where the mod can utilize different weapon systems or sensors on the need basis on a needed basis why a t72 chassis well because it's the most widespread tank in the russian service not just in active duty but also in in storage So developing a heavy UGV that can sort of clear the way, that can draw the fire, expose the adversary firing points, and then clear the way for for ISR drones or UGVs and, and other UGVs to kind of finish the mission is important. And so that particular UGV model is going to be very heavily armed specifically for urban combat. So I don't think Russians are doing away with tanks anytime soon. Again, considering how many tank models varieties they have, considering that they've just designed a new battle tank for future wars. But what they're thinking is that if the systems are going to be complementary to manned assets like the tanks, those UGVs, for example, plus UAVs that go into battle in an urban setting must bear the brunt of the fighting. They must bear the brunt of enemy fire, and they must expose the enemy as much as possible. In fact, that was one of the lessons learned from the testing of that Uran-9 combat UGV. This also means that such systems will probably have to be expendable. And again, their loss should not impact the mission. And those type of UGVs, those heavy tank size UGVs can clear the way for other unmanned systems, as well as manned assets and units to finish the mission.
0: Fascinating. Most people don't understand that even during World War II, multiple militaries were experimenting with, they called it teleop operated tanks back then. So I think there could be some breakthroughs in heavily armored, not even a tank, Like you said, a UGV that could draw the fire of an enemy defense in an urban area, because that's one of the big problems is when you enter the urban terrain, the enemy has the advantage. He can see you and you can't see him until he starts firing on you. But if you had a, like you said, a forward element of a UGV that can reduce the risk, but keep on moving through fire, I would say huge, almost as a game changer.
1: And that's how the Russians are thinking about using their unmanned systems in an urban combat. So waves of UGVs are kind of rolling into, into the target area. And if they come under fire and they need to respond, they can launch their own UAVs and quadricopters for better situational awareness. And that information can be relayed not just to the UGVs on the ground so that they can coordinate their actions accordingly, but also back to HQ so that a command could be given to manned assets like helicopters or artillery that can then hit that target.
0: Okay so I think that's a good a, a good place to transition to artificial intelligence. Now, I'm not a, an expert in artificial intelligence. I, I have read Paul Shear's Army of None, which is a great book if anybody hasn't read it, discussing the definition of artificial intelligence and how that gets incorporated into the system making a decision for itself and the kill chain and all these things that are, are very important toxics as technology advances, but there's still concerns, ethical law of armed conflict. There are many concerns with the deployment of artificial intelligence and a computer making a decision for itself. I mean, how how are the Russians developing and using artificial intelligence?
1: So it's a very interesting question, and I can actually devote an entire hour to talking about Russian military AI. But the key component of AI development in the Russian military is that at this point in time, it is a decision-making tool. AI is supposed to help human operators to analyze targets and make a proper a decision much faster. AI in weapon systems as announced by Russian developers and as announced at various military expos is also a decision-making tool in aircraft and helicopters and missiles, in radar systems and electronic warfare systems and the manned systems. It is basically a tool to acquire as much information about the incoming targets or targets in general to analyze how best to target them and relay that information for the final decision to the human operator. So right now, it's very much a human-in-the-loop approach to using AI in military systems. Russians are driving towards sort of the general autonomy for their unmanned systems. And the requirement right now, or at least the way that they try to conceptualize it, is that in the near future, more and more robotic systems in combat will be making decisions about combat itself autonomously, So the role of the human operator will be diminished, but Russians are still thinking of giving the human operator the role of the final decision-makers. I mentioned Russia's DARPA, the Advanced Research Foundation, and again, they're thinking of robots eventually replacing most human soldiers in combat. So future combat will be a battle of robots. And those robots have to be very self-aware as far as where they're fighting, what they're fighting, and how they can best hit the targets. So greater autonomy would imply greater independent decision-making from a human up to a certain point. A human-in-the-loop approach is fine and well. I think Russians are trying to understand what that would mean in the constantly changing battle condition, meaning when Russians have to respond to... Multitudes of threats in terms of milliseconds. So, how can the human operator best make that decision? But AI is a decision making tool at this point in time.
0: One of the things that I've heard you say in another presentation, you mentioned they're developing technological or technology cities where AI is being developed. What does that mean?
1: Yes, yeah, so Russia actually developed one such city. It's called ERA. ERA stands for Elite Racist Army, or the Russian military elite. It is a 75 acre campus on the Black Sea coast, and it is a tech city where MOD representatives, where soldiers from scientific battalions and companies can work on breakthrough technologies side by side with non military civilian sector and major Russian defense companies. So the young soldiers who are part of the ERA are, first of all, A true elite of the Russian military. The competition to get into the RA is very high. There's a lot of applicants for every spot. Once there, they work on AI, they work on on quantum computing, they work on robotics. They do so together with the Russian DARPA, the Advanced Research Foundation, and the nation's largest defense company. So we're kind of seeing the emergence of an AI And breakthrough technology development ecosystem, where several different organizations, both physical and virtual, can work together on a specific project. And so, uh, ERA recently has been designated as MOD's main center for developing artificial intelligence for the military. ERA and the ARF were part of the Army 2020 Defense Expo that just took place, where ERA plays a very important role. ERA is also a host to an annual conference called Robotization of the Russian Military, where MOD, the end users, the developers, military-industrial complex, the companies, and the academia all come together to discuss how Russian military robotics should be developing, what are the standards, what are the systems that are in demand, and how they can best utilize them.
0: Fascinating stuff, and my ears definitely perk up when you start talking about a, a mock city built to experiment,
1: a real city, not a mock city. It's an actual city and it keeps growing too.
0: Uh, it sounds like our Muscatatuck Urban Training Center, a real city where you experiment with not only technologies, but in the urban terrain. I mean, would you say that the Russian military has an urban warfare school? Is, is that ERA?
1: I would say there are several centers where Russian military can train on that. So number one training center is located in Chebrakul military range. This is where Russians are testing their different UGVs and UEVs. This is where they're testing a lot of these kind of systems. ERA has sort of a virtual training center. And then there are also other institutions where Russian military can test their military robotics. In fact, One of the criteria for going forward with military robotics development in Russia, which was articulated at this Robotization of the Armed Forces Conference, was the standardization and unification of testing ranges across the country where the same criteria can be applied to the testing of unmanned military systems.
0: I'd be fascinated to see if the urban environment, right? So all militaries develop capabilities, but it's arguable if the militaries are using the urban environment as their primary experimentation venue, or they're starting in less complicated terrain, like wide open desert or open terrain, and then saying, we'll get to the more complex. If I was a you know a developer, my key performance indicator would be must work in urban terrain. Well, Sam, I, I really appreciate this talk. I think we'll cut it off there. I mean, I think I could talk this, and clearly you could talk this, for a long time. It's fascinating to learn the Russian developments in urban combat and technologies, and especially from the lessons of the Syrian war part.
1: Exactly. I'm glad to be on this podcast. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks a lot, Sam. Thanks for listening to the Urban Warfare Project podcast. The podcast is produced by the Modern War Institute at West Point. What you hear in each episode are the views of the participants and do not represent the positions of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. You can subscribe to the Urban Warfare Project podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to check out NDY's other podcasts, as well as the new articles we're publishing every day on our website. Thanks again for listening.